going to read from chapter 8, we're going to read from chapter 8, starting from verse 27, are we, are we all there? Mark 8, from verse 27. And it reads, Now Jesus and his disciples went out of went out to the towns of went out to the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And on the road he asked his disciples, saying to them, Who do men say that I am? So they answered, John the Baptist. But some say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. So he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said to him, You are the Christ. Then he strictly warned them that they should tell no one about him. In the book of Matthew, Matthew actually records in chapter 16 that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The title of my message this morning is who do you say that I am? Why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And it is interesting here that Jesus, when he asks the question, he's looking for a personal response. And so it's the same question I have for you this morning. Who do you, Mamti, say that Jesus Christ is? Who do you, Mahle, say that Jesus Christ is? Who do you, Pastor Fadzi, say that Jesus Christ is? And so when Jesus asks this particular question, he's not looking for the response that your mama has told you. He's not looking for the response that your papa has told you. He's not even looking for the response that your mayor may have said. He's not even looking for the response that maybe your favorite celebrity has said. He's looking for a personal response and he's asking the question, who do you as you are seated there, as you are in a relationship with Christ, who do you say that Jesus Christ is? And what I find interesting about, about this particular passage in scripture, the Bible makes it clear to us that Jesus and his disciples were walking out of the town of Caesarea Philippi. And what do we know about these towns? These towns were actually strongholds of demon gods of Syria, of Greece, and of Rome. So in these towns, there was a concoction of gods that were worshipped. What else do we know about Caesarea Philippi? We know that in, in this, in, in, in this, at this particular stage, as they were walking out, the Bible uh, historians tell us that there was actually a rocky cliff. As you walked out of the towns of Caesarea Philippi, there was this rocky cliff. And on that particular cliff, what would happen was that there were actually idols that were literally carved into that rock facade. So picture this scenario. Jesus is walking with his disciples and it is against that particular background. It is against that particular background of religious confusion and error that he chooses to ask that particular question. 
And so he's walking with his disciples and he then inquires of him, of, of, of his disciples about his identity. And as I was reading and trying to picture what would have happened here, there they are. They're walking out of Caesarea Philippi. There they are, you know, with Jesus. And knowing Jesus, he was a man on a mission. He was a man with a vision. He was a man with a passion. So he was probably all resolute. And he's walking with his disciples out of Caesarea Philippi. And in the midst of that, as they walk past this rocky cliff, out of the blue, he just turns around and says, Who do men say that I am? and the guy just bounces off again in the context of that particular background. And here I am thinking, how would the, the disciples responded? So maybe, I don't know, maybe it was a, a James who started. Uh, I don't know, some say that you are John the Baptist. And then maybe it was a Nathaniel who was probably in the middle of the queue, you know, calling out. But some say you are Elijah. And then, I don't know, maybe it was Thomas, doubting Thomas, possibly at the back of the queue. And some say you are one of the prophets. <laughs> interesting scenario and if you look at the responses that were given by the disciples themselves they each indicated the name of the prophet they each indicated the name of the prophet and this was in line with the popular messianic expectations held in Israel at the time and one thing, if you look at scripture, you would understand that the people of Israel, the children of Israel, somehow had good memories when it came, when it came to their history. So they knew that somewhere along the line, their forefathers had told them that there would be a great prophet that would come to the fore, that God would raise a great prophet. So as, as Jesus is asking this question, and obviously it's that history, it's against the backdrop of that history, that they begin to formulate these answers that they think the crowds were saying. And we also need to understand that during that time there had been this strand of prediction about all a particular type of prophet that would rise. In Deuteronomy 18.15, Moses actually says to the children of Israel, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. So it's not like they didn't have some type of history to, to, to understand that there'll be a prophet that will be raised. In Malachi 4 verse 5 it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day. So in the, in the minds of the Israelites, in the minds of the crowds, they actually thought that Jesus was a resurrected prophet of old. But they also thought that if for some reason Jesus is not one of the resurrected prophets of old, then maybe he is a new prophet just like them. So they saw Jesus in the context of this, of this, of one of the prophets. And the response of the, the, the disciples, the response of, of their response to Jesus, it actually shows us Israel's attempt to understand who Jesus was based on their prior knowledge. So they try to explain who Jesus was based on some kind of prior knowledge. And I just want to ask you a question this morning. The definition that you hold, what is your definition of Jesus founded on? Is the definition that you have of Jesus, is it founded on some experiential knowledge that you have of him?
Is it founded on some, what somebody might have told you? Is it founded on something that you think of Jesus? And the question is, is it aligned to what the word of God says? What is the definition of Jesus that you hold founded on? It is also interesting to note that when Jesus is talking about, is when Jesus is, look, is, is asking his disciples, he, he doesn't wait. He, he actually waits to actually hear what they personally have, have to say. And it actually moves me to my next point as we develop a rationale for this, for this message. So the first point is, who you say Jesus is will determine how you define him. Who you say Jesus is will determine how you personally define him. And as we see in this, in this particular passage of scripture, they defined Jesus based on their prior knowledge. I remember some of you might be familiar with, with the Nedbank Cup, okay, which is dubbed the FA Cup of South Africa. Okay, so it's the Nedbank uh, uh, soccer, soccer, soccer tournament that is held every year. And what happened last year was that in the Nedbank Cup, they basically, they basically set out a competition. And in that competition, they asked fans interested in soccer, they asked them to phone in to a radio station. They selected particular radio stations. And that radio stations, they asked that if you phone in, share your dream. All right? So they asked fans to phone in and share their dreams. But what happened was that when you share your dream, then it would be, you would actually be eligible to win uh, the fulfillment of that particular uh, that particular dream. Okay, so obviously people liking competitions, they would phone at the different selected radio stations. Okay, but what Nedbank did not tell the fans out there was the value that the value of each particular dream was up to a hundred thousand rand. So you could phone in, share your dream, stand a chance to win the fulfillment of that particular dream. But what the people out there did not know was that the value of each dream, not the, the, not the, 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 the total value of the competition, each dream. So you could phone and say, well, this is what I would like, this is what I want fulfilled. But they did not tell you that the value can be up to 100,000. So it was interesting to see what people then phoned in um, and, and were share when people phoned in what they were sharing. I remember the one guy who was selected to win, he basically phoned and said that he wanted a new cell phone. Now, what is the value of a cell phone? A good cell phone generally? Okay, maybe 15,000. All right. And for that particular month, he was one of the winners that were selected. There was a man who called in, and he had uh, two toddlers. He had lost his wife about two years, ago, the two, two years prior to that, to that time. And basically, his dream was that he wanted his, his, his house where he was staying, was staying in a, in a one-bedroom house. And he wanted a bigger place to live with his two children. So he had actually asked that you know, the, the room be extended and made comfortable for him to live. What do you think is the estimated value of that? 
There was another lady who called in and said that she wanted to call to take her mother on holiday. And I think the mother hadn't been feeling one. She just wanted to appreciate her mom. So she then uh, uh, called in and said she wanted a, a holiday sponsored. Okay. So there were these different uh, dreams that people would share. And as I looked at this, I thought to myself, if the people who called in knew what the value of the dream could extend to, they would probably have asked differently. They would probably would have asked differently. And this takes me to my second point, that who you say or see or believe that Jesus is will determine the extent to which you will seize opportunities that will give rise to your miracle. So your perception of Jesus is critical. Your perception of Jesus is key. Who you say Jesus is, who you believe Jesus to be, who you see him to be, will determine what you're going to ask him of, will determine the degree to which you seize certain opportunities that may or will unlock certain miracles in your life. I'd like us to look at, to just help us look at this example, to look at Mark 10. From verse 42, it tells us the story of blind Bartimaeus. It says in, in verse 46, Now when they came to Jericho, as Jesus went out of Jericho, his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when they heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood and commanded him to be, to be called. When they called the blind man, saying to him, then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. It is interesting to see that Bartimaeus' perception of Jesus was that of a merciful healer. He could have told Jesus that I'm looking for food. He could have said to him that I'm okay with a little bit of shelter. He could have said to Jesus, you know what, I'm actually okay with a blanket. But what is interesting here is that Bartimaeus himself was not good or be deterred from seizing his opportunity that would bring a lifetime miracle into his life. He was not going to be hindered by the crowds, by people who had no idea what it means to live with perpetual blindness. I want to ask you the question this morning. Do you, are you hindered in any manner by people or situations that you look at and you say maybe Jesus could never fulfill this in my life? Have you looked at your particular situation and said, you know what, maybe let me aim for something lower because Jesus might never be able to fulfill this. But Jesus, but Bartimaeus in this case would not be stilled. It's interesting that sometimes in life we actually don't choose the cards dealt to us. 
but you've got the option to choose how you play the game. Sometimes you may not choose the direction that the wind will, will, will blow in, but you can choose how you set sail. It's all a choice. It's all about, it's all about what you choose. And it's interesting. The question is, how do you see Jesus? Because how you see him will determine what opportunity you will seize and what opportunity you will go for and to what extent you will believe Jesus for that very, very thing. Some of you will know or have heard of a, a, a photo, a professional American photojournalist called Jewett Jones. And he's probably one of the renowned photojournalists that uh, National Geographic has had. And this particular gentleman, in one of his films uh, entitled Celebrate What's Right with the World, he says something that is very remarkable. And this is what he says. He says, if you have the right lens, it becomes easy to get the right focus. If you have the right lens, it becomes easy to get the right focus. My question to you is, does the lens through which you see Jesus enable you to get the right focus of him? Does the lens through which you see Jesus enable you to get the right focus of him? Or should you be changing that lens? The way you see, the way you experience your perception of Jesus does it enable you to actually have the right focus of him? Would you say, will you say, see and believe that Jesus is will determine the extent to which you seize opportunities that will give rise to your miracle? I want to challenge you to get to that place in your life, in your walk with Jesus, where you ask the Holy Spirit and say, what are those things in me that will hinder me from gaining a full understanding of who Jesus is? What are the very things that unless I deal with them, that unless I tackle those particular issues, they are going to prevent me from moving into the fullness of my destiny? I want to encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, penetrate every area of my life and begin to eliminate certain things that may have been placed there by history, by experience, by certain misconceptions. What are the things that you as an individual need to deconstruct so that you can move in the, full, in the fullness of your relationship with Christ? Because the fact of the matter is, unless your vision of Christ is clear, unless you have the right lens, it will affect the focus or your focus of Jesus. It will affect what you will, you will see him for and what you will believe him for and what you will take him for and what you will tell others that he's, he's, he's all about. So the question is, who do you say that Jesus is? Point number three, who you say Jesus is, your discernment of him will determine the degree to which you will fully embrace him. Who you say Jesus is, your discernment of him will determine the degree to which you will fully embrace him. 
Just want us to read Matthew 13 from verse 53. And this is what it says. Matthew, Matthew 13 from verse 53. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these parables that he departed from there when he had come to his own country, that is Nazareth. He taught them in the synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James? Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and his sisters, are they not all with us? When did this man get all these things? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor in his own country and in his own house. Now he did not do that many miracles there because of their unbelief. An experience in his own hometown. Nazareth was probably one of the towns, one of the places that should have fully embraced Jesus. Nazareth was probably one of the towns that had the best opportunity to know Jesus, but it was the very town that rejected him because of their perception of Jesus. They were like, how can this man suddenly do all these miracles? We grew up with him. We know that his father, Joseph, is a carpenter. We know his mother. We know his brothers. We know his sisters. We shop at the same markets. Hey, the same refuse company that collects garbage at our house also collects trash at their house. We shop from the same pizza joints and suddenly he calls himself the Messiah. They chose to dwell on the petty things that hindered them from seeing the fullness of who Christ, Christ was. They were absorbed with the things that actually were not useful to understanding who Jesus was. Who you say Jesus is will affect the degree to which you will embrace him. I want to ask you a question. In which areas of your life have you become blinded such that you are hindered from fully embracing the person of Jesus Christ? Where are the blind spots in your life? What in your mind has to be deconstructed before Christ can take full residence in you? Your discernment of Jesus is the difference between you and the degree to which you will embrace him. Point number four, who you say Jesus is will determine everything about how you follow him everything about how do not even con yourself do not even con yourself and say you know what i'll live my life with a 30 percent understanding of who jesus is you know i can kind of like you know see my life through with probably a 55 percent of who jesus is it might mean that you'll only fulfill your destiny 50 55 percent of your destiny it might mean that you will miss out on 45% of what Jesus has called you to. Who you say Jesus is will determine everything about how you follow him. If you think that Jesus is a good teacher, you probably follow him like one would follow a good teacher. Right. 
if you think that Jesus is a kind of person with some good ideas, then it might mean that you probably listen to some of the things he says every once in a while. If you think that Jesus is a good example, maybe you follow him, you know, every, you, know you try to follow his, his example. But if you think that Jesus, or you see Jesus, or believe that Jesus is the promised Messiah, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of the living God, Christ, the Son of the living God, in whom there is eternal life, then something about your life should certainly change. If you believe that Jesus Christ himself is the one who rules and reigns over all, then it changes your perception about how you live your day-to-day -day life. It changes your perception about how you believe what you believe in in your life. It changes your perception about how you see the obstacles, the mountains, the hindrances in your life. Who you say Jesus is will determine everything about how you follow him. Is what you say of Jesus in alignment with what is portrayed in his, in, in, in his word? I like what Peter says in John, in John 6 from verse 68. This is after Jesus had preached a very tough message and basically said, you know what, you've, if you want to follow me, you've got to accept me, you've got to eat my blood, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now this was a very hard teaching to a people who, for starters, could not even understand who he was. You were speaking to a people who did not even believe that he was the son of God. But Peter, in that instance, he says to Jesus when they, he asked them, so are you also going to depart from me? But Peter says, Lord, to whom can we go? For we have come to believe and understand that only you have the words of eternal life. And we have come to believe that you are Christ, the son of the living God. I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and in whom there is eternal life? And so it is against this backdrop that I'd like to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with you. That I'd like to have a personal conversation with you this morning as I pose the question, who do you say that Christ is? Which takes me to the second part of this message. And that is, who do you personally say that Christ Jesus is? In that particular passage of scripture in Mark 8:29, not only does Jesus ask his disciples, who do men say that I am? But his subsequent question is, but who do you as an individual say that I am? And the fact that he asks a subsequent question reveals two things to me. Number one, the first thing was that the first response was not satisfactory to Jesus. It was not satisfactory to Jesus. It actually fell short of the true estimate of his mission. So he was like, okay, these people view me as a, pro as, as a prophet. But he then asked them, who do you say that I am? 
And the second thing is that it depicts that that particular question was of crucial importance to Jesus himself, particularly if this group of disciples who later became the apostles all but one, if this group of disciples were to effectively execute the great commission to the ends of the earth. If you're going to give somebody a responsibility, whether it's in, the, in, your work, in, in your work environment, if you employ a direct report and you say to them, this is your scorecard, this is your portfolio, you want to be certain that whatever is in their scorecard they're going to fulfill. You want to be certain that if their role is to bring in the numbers, they're going to bring in the numbers. You want to be certain that if their, their role is to actually expand and that particular portfolio, they're going to do it. So Jesus is faced with a group of disciples. For starters, he doesn't even know if they really know who he is. So he makes a decision to ask them, not because he was good at asking questions, but in his mind, he had the future in mind. He is seeing you and me in mind. He was seeing generations in mind. So he's thinking it is important that if these apostles are going to fulfill the Great Commission, I better make sure that they understand who I I am. Yes. Not only that, if that particular question mattered to that extent to Jesus, then it also means that neither you and I are exempt from answering the same question in our generation, in this life stage, in this nation, on this continent. In the same manner, Jesus wants to know if you really know him. Because the Bible tells us that he has given us a great commission. He has given us a great commission to carry his gospel to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. That is why even as God Church, this is our, you are a movement of God honoring believers, progressively discipling nations by communicating and demonstrating the kingdom of God. But we can't effectively do that unless we understand and fully embrace who Jesus is. So it is of paramount importance for us to capture and be crystal clear in our minds who Jesus is. I want to encourage us not to lose cognizance of a few fundamentals. We need to understand that the world we live in is not quite the same world that Jesus lived in during the time he walked on the earth. Today, there are many erroneous definitions of who Christ is out there that are being taught people. Today we live in a society with innumerable voices that are fighting for airtime in the hearts and minds of men. Today we live in a world with concerning world views that advocate the worship of idols. And these idols range from people to animals to dodgy objects. There are worldviews that are promoting the worship of, of different idols. There are confused mysticisms that perceive that Jesus is some floating being out there in the ether, or some imposter, or some heretic. There are all these confused mysticisms that are operating and floating out there. And that is why it is crucial for us to understand who Jesus is as portrayed in the word of God. There are philosophers that even after 2,000 years after Jesus walked the earth, they're still trying to box Jesus. They're still trying to define Jesus even today, 2,000 years later. There are philosophers of that manner. 
history itself has even witnessed those who claim to be Jesus. That's the kind of world, that's the kind of environment that we live in, in our generation. There are myriads of religions that position Jesus Christ on par with Muhammad, on par with Krishna, on par with uh, Buddha, on par with Sangomas, on par with fortune tellers, on par with new age charismas. It's real, you know it. You know it. There are all these myriad of religions out there that position Jesus on par with all these other people who are not the son of God. There are religions in the world today that claim that they can save the soul of man. That can claim that they can solve the crisis that we face today. But religion, but we know that salvation does not reside in any of them. Salvation does not reside in a religion. Salvation resides in a person and that person is Jesus Christ. But we are inundated by all these religions who tell you, come I'll save your soul. Come I'll show you what can be better but they're not in them there's no grain of salvation that is our challenge that is the world that we live in there are many concepts of jesus out there in the minds of people throughout the world but the true jesus is portrayed in the word the devil has actually introduced false christs false bibles in order to deceive mankind. There are popular movements and even books and trends that feature isolated characteristics of Jesus and dogmas that distort a correct biblical view of Jesus Christ. You've seen some of these, some of these books or movements or, 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 or trends. So when we live in that kind of a generation, when we live in that kind of an an environment, we cannot afford to have a distorted image of Christ. We cannot afford to have a distorted image of Christ. So could it be that, my brothers and sisters, that unless the question, who do you say that Christ is, is firmly, is firmly resolved in your heart and mind, you may fall prey to the doctrines of devils. Paul makes it very, very clear to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4 verse 1. He says, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of devils. Doctrines of of devils will confront us in the day and age that we live in. So could it be that unless we are clearly resolved in our minds in terms of who Jesus is, we may fall prey to these doctrines? Could it be that unless we are crystal clear in our minds whom we have believed in, we may end up in an inaccurate, with an inaccurate interpretation of what Christ is actually able to execute in our lives. Again, Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1 verse 12, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded 
that is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Sometimes we know Jesus, we know whom we have believed, but are we thoroughly persuaded that he's able to keep what we have committed to him until that day? So on the one hand, you can believe, but on the other hand, are you persuaded to such an extent that irrespective of the winds of doctrines out there, when they blow in your direction, you remain unshakable. When they blow in your direction, you are resolute. You know very clearly that this is not from what the Word of God says. This is not the Christ that was portrayed in the Word of God. This is not the Christ who came and died for me so that I can have eternal life. This is not the Christ whom the Bible says that he is, I'm now seated in heavenly places with him. Could it be that without a convincing revelation of the person of Jesus, your experience of him may become flattened? In 1 Corinthians 2 verse 2, Paul says, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. What else are you seeking? What other knowledge are you seeking? Or are you in that place, like Paul, where you can say, you know what, when all is said and done, I have determined to know nothing more except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Or are you one of those people who are interested in a, co in a concoction of religions or, you know, philosophers out there? But Paul says, no, 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 I'm not even confused about what I want in my life. I'm not even confused about what I want to know. I'm not even confused about where I'm going. I am determined to know Jesus Christ and to know him and only him crucified. My question to you is, who are you determined to know? It's interesting that even Paul himself, the, one of the great teachers of the Bible, one of the great teachers of the Bible, one of the great apostles, he even feared for the believers in Corinth. And listen to what he says. In the second book of Corinthians, chapter 11, he says to them from verse 3, But I fear, lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Jesus Christ. For if he who comes preaching another Jesus whom we have not preached, so he's warning the people of Corinth, the church in Corinth, and says, you know what, we have taught you the Jesus, the Son of God, but you know what, there are other people who are going to come and preach another Jesus. Yes. If he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. So he's warning them that there are those who are going to bring to you a different, preach to you another Jesus. There are those to you who are going to introduce another spirit that we have not taught you. There are those who are going to bring another gospel that we have not taught you. There are spirits that are contrary to the spirit of God. There are gospels that are contrary to the gospel of the kingdom of God. The question is, do you know the difference? And Paul warns this particular church. So could it be that unless we fully understand and comprehend who Jesus is, we may fall prey to these things.
And finally, after Jesus has asked two questions, who do say, who do men say that, who do men say that I am? And the subsequent question, who do you say that I am? Peter answers, you are the Christ, son of the living God. Then he strictly warned them that they should not tell anyone about it. I want you to allow me one more opportunity to ask you the same question. Who do you say that Christ Jesus is? And more importantly, is your response aligned to how Jesus describes himself in the word of God? It's interesting that Jesus himself, throughout the Gospels, he gives us, he gives us certain hints. He explains himself as many times as he can so that there can be clarity in, in who he is. It's interesting that if you look at the Gospels, this is, these are the, some of the hints that he gives us so that we can understand who he really is, not based on our perception, but who, on who he says he is. In John 6, 35, he says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger. So Jesus is basically telling Israel that, you know what, if you're wanting something that does not run out, if you're wanting continued fulfillment, I am the bread of the life. And if you receive me and embrace me, you shall not hunger. In John 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Are you in a place where you're looking for true light? Are you in a place where you're looking for true clarity? Because Jesus himself does us a favor and gives us a bit of a hint and says, this is who I am. I am the one who will bring light where there's darkness in your life. I am the one who will bring clarity where there's unclarity. I am the light of the world. And if you follow me, you will not walk in darkness, but you shall have the light of life. In John 10 verse 9, he says, I am the gate. If anyone enters through me, he shall be saved. And shall, shall go in and out and find pastures. Jesus knew that there will be other gates that people will be tempted to enter. But he makes it clear to us that I am the gate. There's no other gates. And if you enter through me, here's what will happen. You will be saved. You will go in and out. And not only that, but you will find pasture. In John 10 verse 11, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Jesus says, I'm not here on my own mission. I'm not here because I just want to show what it means to have stints of, of deity in me. But he says, I'm here for my sheep. I'm here because God has sent me to, to you. So I am a shepherd. Not only am I a shepherd, but I'm a good shepherd. And the good shepherd that lays down his life for his sheep. That is why I'm here. Explaining himself to us so that there will be clarity. In John 11, 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. Talking about it, it, eternal life. The resurrection and the life. And he went on to demonstrate this when he raised Lazarus from the dead. In John 14, 6, he says, I'm the way the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So if somebody tells you, 
you find salvation through this particular God or through this particular prophet. Jesus says that is nonsense because only I am the way. Only I am the truth. Only I am the life. And if you want to come to my father, if you want to have a personal, intimate, experiential relationship with my father in heaven, then you've got to come through me. You've got to come through me. In John 15, 1, he says, I'm the true vine. Yes. But not only am I the true vine, but my father is the, vi is the vine dresser. My father is the one who nurtures. My father is the one who brings life. I'm in this not only by myself, but I'm in this with my father. We're in relationship, and I want you to be a partaker of that particular relationship. It's not that Jesus was looking for different symbols to just explain, you know, himself. Jesus was actually explaining to us and bringing to clarity that you've got to understand who I am. You've got to understand who I am because who I am, when you understand who, who I am, it actually affects how you follow me. Who you say Jesus is affects everything about how you follow him. Christ is not a fairy tale or a fable or a legend or a myth or a fictional hero. He's the son of the living God. So my question to you, if there's anything that I'd like you to get out of this message this morning, my question to you is who do you personally say that Christ Jesus is? Let's rise to our feet so we pray.